Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. My name's Dean Bobar. I'm the Adult Life Minister here. If I haven't had the pleasure to meet you yet, would love to meet you afterwards over some salsa and some really cool dips. I know some of what's coming. There's some really delicious stuff coming, so I hope you can hang out afterwards. If you've been here for a few weeks, you've probably heard that we've been in Isaiah 52:13 through 53:12, Isaiah 53, as it's commonly known. And it, the passage starts off with saying, see my servant. And we know that the my servant, in the context of the whole Bible, is Jesus, the servant king. But can we ever really see God? Can we ever really see God? There's actually lots of different answers in the Bible. One of the answers comes from Jesus in John 14 as he's talking with his disciples before going to the cross. And he says, if you've seen me, talking about himself as God in the flesh, fully human, fully God, you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. So apparently you can see God when you look at Jesus. You can also hear from him as well. <laughs> um, But what if I told you that you can actually, if you can actually catch glimpses of his character and glory in this very room? What if I told you you could catch that, that, those kind of glimpses? I want you to look around at one another. Go ahead, look, look around at one another. Look around. There's those glimpses. There's those glimpses of God's character and glory. It says in Genesis 1, 26, God says, let us make mankind on our image according to our likeness. So we are created in the very image of God, each one of us. Now, we may be cracked images. We might be cracked images because of sin, because of our hearts rebel against God, but we still reflect something of God's character and glory. There's still something left there that reflects, reflects God's character and God's glory. And so when you look into a mirror, you see a reflection, right? And so we as images reflect something of God's character, something of God's glory. That's Norman Rockwell's girl in, at the mirror, or girl in the mirror. Now, why is this important? Why are we talking about this, talking about Jesus? Well, in Psalm 8, this is what David says about us. It might be a little bit hard to read there, it might be a little bit small. Yet you have made them, human beings, a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under their feet. We have been crowned with glory and honor. We've been crowned with glory and honor. That's part of what it means to be created in the very image of God. We reflect God's royal dignity and purpose in how we are created. Again, we're cracked images, but it's still there. And this is the story of Scripture that we are created in God's image to reflect God's 
character and glory to the world. We've rebelled against God. We became cracked images. God started this story, this history with the people in Israel and eventually led to promises to Jesus, the servant king coming. And in him, we are restored as God's image bearers. The image of Jesus is what we're moving towards as we're being saved. That's the whole story of scripture. That's one way to, to talk about it. And we're about halfway through our series, The Servant King, where we're looking at Isaiah 53. And each week we're filling in this blank. Jesus the King serves us by, and we're looking at different ways he serves us as the King. This week it's Jesus the King serves us by being exalted in victory. By being exalted in victory. And you might be thinking, wait, wait, wait. How does his being exalted in victory a service to us? It's like going to the Queen of England and going, great, she's exalted in victory. How's this, hel- how's this helping me out, right? So what, what's the connection there? Well, in the victory of Jesus, God restores in us the very image of God so that we have freedom and life in Christ. We're reconciled back to him, and that image of God is restored as we become like Jesus. We move towards the image of Jesus. And we're going to explore who Jesus is in two parts, just like last week. We're going to be talking about Jesus, the startling servant, and then Jesus, the satisfied servant. And if you're looking at those verses, you're like, wait a minute, where's, oh, that's wrong up there. That should say verses 10 through 12 for uh, the satisfied servant. So we're going to be in 13 through 15 of chapter 52, and then jump to 53 verses 10 through 12, the beginning and end of the passage. Now, if you're wondering where are those verses in between, well, we are approaching the passage as as a poem with five stanzas. And if you hated literature class, I'm sorry, but this is how we're talking about it. There's five stanzas, five portions of the poem, each with three verses. And it's what's known as, as an inverted parallelism. It's where the second part is in reverse order, and the center part is very often the focal point. And as I've said before, this pattern is all over Scripture, especially the Old Testament. If you look for it, you'll, you'll find it. Uh, we started first week taking a look at the the death of Jesus, with Jesus the substitutionary servant. Then last week, we talked about Jesus as the startling, excuse me, Jesus as the, what did we talk about? Anyways, we talked about Jesus <laughs> suffering injustice for us. There was a key word. I'm just missing one key word there, but it's not, it's not coming to me right away. Um, we talked about, we, yeah, we talked about substitutionary, one second. Suffering, yes, we talked about Jesus as the suffering servant. Yeah, there was another key word. It doesn't matter. We're, we're move- <laughs> sorrowful. It was a sorrowful servant, yes. Jesus the sorrowful servant, and then Jesus the silent and slaughtered servant. The alliteration is supposed to help you remember these things. <laughs> Apparently, there's too many S's. It's just too much alliteration. This week, we're taking a look at the outer frame of it, and then next week, we'll take a look at the, as, at the poem as a whole. And you might recall that we're seeing this pattern of suffering followed by glory, suffering followed by glory. And this pattern is all throughout all of these servant songs that, that we find in the book of Isaiah. The passage we're looking at is the fourth of four servant songs, where Isaiah the prophet talks about this servant of the Lord, and it's a mysterious figure, and it's not known who it is, but it gets a little bit clearer and clearer as you read through uh, his prophecy. And we can even see this pattern of suffering followed by glory in the passage. It starts off with glory, the middle part talks about suffering, and then it goes back to glory at the end. 
So if you've been really bummed out for the past two weeks with all the suffering part, we're getting to the glory part, people. We're, and we're going to get started with Jesus, the startling servant. Jesus, the startling servant. So let's get started with reading verses 13 through 15 of chapter 52. You can read along if you'd like, or you can just listen. Isaiah says, See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his his appearance beyond semblance and his form beyond that of mortals. So he shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which they had not been told, for that which had not been told them, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, they shall contemplate. Jesus is exalted and lifted up after his suffering for us. He's exalted and lifted up after his suffering for us. Now, so far, if you, if you read through the whole book of Isaiah from beginning to end, we find this phrase a few different times, and it's usually associated with God. But now there's this human figure, this servant, that is going to be exalted and lifted up like God. How is this the case? It's a mystery until Jesus comes. It's a mystery. How is this human figure going to be exalted and lifted up with God, like God, or maybe even as God? And in Jesus, that mystery becomes clear. You see, the mystery about who the servant is becomes clear to the whole world eventually as the gospel goes out. And we're in the midst of that process as people hear and believe the good news of Jesus. They get to know who this servant is in his humiliation and and in his exaltation. And as people hear, the world is astonished by not only Jesus' sufferings, but also his glory. The world's astonished by his sufferings and his glory. And we see that in the gospel, and we see that in people's hearts and lives when they encounter Jesus today. In verse 14, we see that the extent of Jesus' suffering was so bad that he didn't even look like a human being anymore. And if we know about the reality of crucifixion in Jesus' day, it makes sense. It was a cruel punishment that people experienced. But the world is also astonished by Jesus' glory. The world, even its kings, its leaders, will be astonished by his glory as well as his suffering. Isaiah says, kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which they had not been told them, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, they shall contemplate. The fact that kings shut their mouths means they're going to see Jesus exalted in his glory and go, whoa, My human power and authority is nothing compared to Jesus' power and authority. And Paul retells this story for us in Philippians 2. I'm going to go ahead and turn there and read from that passage. We covered the first part of this last week. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you, that is, as the church, that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. He took on the human form, taking the form of a slave and being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see the sense of descent? He's humiliated. And then we hear in verse 9 the response that, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given And gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
I have to think that Paul had those verses we just read in mind, that the servant is exalted and lifted up and everyone, all, all creatures bow to his glory. And every knee will, will bend to Jesus. Some will do it in defeat. Others will do it in joyful submission. And God calls us to do it in joyful submission as his followers, as Jesus' followers. So Jesus is the startling servant. This is startling to see his glory and his suffering. People are startled by Jesus, and they need the help of other followers of Jesus as God's Spirit works to help them get to know this Jesus. In Acts 8, there's this amazing encounter between Philip, a follower of Jesus, and an Ethiopian eunuch. Here's the scene. The Ethiopian eunuch is leaving Jerusalem. He's interested in the Jewish faith, the Jewish scriptures. He's in his, his chariot, and God orchestrates this meeting. He's, God basically says to Philip, go over there and, and, and connect with that guy. So he's walking along with him, and in, in ancient days, you read aloud. You didn't really read silently. So he's reading aloud, guess from which passage? This one, Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? Which is a great question to engage with people if they're curious in the scriptures. And the Ethiopian eunuch has a great response, a great question. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I unless someone guides me? That's the way every follower of Jesus comes to faith in Christ. That's a normal pattern for God's work in the world, is he uses other followers of Jesus as the gospel goes out to guide them to faith. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's likely that that's how you came to faith. It's not like an angel just appeared to you in your bedroom one night and went, ah, believe in Jesus, okay, I do it. You know, it's probably in relationship with other people, other followers of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, God wants to do, do that kind of work through you today, right now. That's God's plan A. God's plan A is not to have just the ministers do the work. God's plan A is for the ministers to equip you guys to go out and spread the gospel. That's how God gets the word out. So how does this happen practically? What does this look like practically? Well, there's an approach that I think could be helpful, um, and I've shared this before, but I think it's uh, a good time to share it again. The triple L approach to, to sharing your faith or making disciples. There's three L's up there. Love, listen, lead. Can you say it with me? Love, listen, lead. So we love others as Jesus would. We listen to God and their stories. And we lead people to the gospel. So it's all about starting with love, loving people as if Jesus was living my life. What would it be like for me to love that jerk in the cubicle next to me <laughs> who's giving me a hard time all the time? What would it look like for me to love that person? What would it look like for me to love my spouse in a way that would honor God? How can I love people as Jesus would? Next, listen. Listen to God. Listen for God's promptings in those relationships. Listen to people's life stories so you can really get to know them and you can share grace and truth with them so that they can really understand and what they need to hear. Because our way of life is the beginning of our testimony. And as people, as we develop friendships and relationships with people, that's when we earn the right to be heard. Someone who's really good at developing these kind of relationships, do you, do you want to know who this is? Pastor Jericho. If you know Pastor Jericho really well, he's really good at this kind of stuff. He's really good at, he'll, he'll just establish friendships with the, with the guy selling coffee that he meets every Friday morning. 
Jess, am I wrong about this? No. <laughs> like, if you see him, uh, that's just how he operates. He's really good. I want to be more like Pastor Jericho in that. He just has a natural way about him, and he develops really uh, cool relationships where he can share the gospel and engage people in ministry. Now, notice you haven't shared anything about your faith up to this point. Very often, we, we feel like sharing the gospel is like, I've got to have just the right words, and I've got to have all this Bible knowledge, and two out of three steps, you don't say anything necessarily that's Christian. But in the midst of that, God will lead you to opportunities to share the gospel. As you share your faith story, as you maybe engage with people in scripture, and then you lead them to the gospel. And the, the really cool thing is Jesus is so amazing, so astonishing, so startling, that when people encounter him, like really encounter him, that's when they choose to follow him. You don't have to twist people's arm to believe in Jesus. When they encounter the real Jesus, more often than not, they go, well, tell me more. I want to know about this, this Jesus. Who, who is he? What's, what's this all about? What does it mean to follow him? And so this is what it could look like, uh, possibly, to engage with people in this way, so that people could be startled by Jesus through you, and you can help them to come to faith. So who can you intentionally move in these kinds of direction with in your world? Are there some people you can intentionally love? Is there maybe someone in your book club or someone on the soccer field where your kids are at that's really hurting, that really needs to experience the love of Jesus through you? Are there people in your world, maybe a friend that's going through a hard time that just needs someone to listen to them? Is there someone who's going through a really difficult time at work that could just use a call and say, hey, I know you're having a really tough time. Do you want to talk about it? And are there people who are really just ready to hear the gospel in your world or ready to maybe to take that step where you might take that courageous step of, hey, you want to grab coffee and like hear about my faith? Like you've asked me a couple questions. I would love to share more about it. Or, you know, we can start reading scripture every day at lunch um, during our lunch break as we usually hang out on Tuesdays or whatever. So who can you start intentionally moving in these directions with to startle people with Jesus? In a good way, not like a boo kind of way. <laughs> I say that because I scare people on accident and on purpose uh, amongst my, my coworkers. That's, that's another story. So let's move now from the startling servant to Jesus, the satisfied servant. Man, I messed up with that. That should say 53, 10 through... <laughs> 10 through 12 up there. So that says 53, 10 through 12, okay? Jesus the King serves us by being exalted in victory. We've seen the exalted part. Now we're going to see that he's exalted in victory in verses 10 through 12. And it's because of that victory that we can call Jesus the satisfied servant. We hear in verse 11, oh, excuse me, we hear, it, yeah, in in, uh, yes, verse 11, uh, that he shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. He thought he shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. So what is that talking about? Satisfaction through his knowledge. It seems to be referring to Jesus knowing that God has accomplished his work through him and will accomplish what he's going to do. He's sitting back saying the victory has been won. It's, it's happened. All that God promised to do is happening and will happen. Now, we need to read 53, 1 through 9 before getting 
getting to verses 10 through 12 to review so we can see what that mission that Jesus says, I'm satisfied about, okay? So we're going to walk through Jesus, the sorrowful servant, the substitutionary servant, and the silent and slaughtered servant. So let's start with verses 1 through 3 of chapter 53. Isaiah says, Who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him, before God, like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. So we hear that he's a man of suffering, or in other translations, a man of sorrows. He's sorrowful because of all that he suffers. He comes humbly and he's despised and rejected. And then in verses four through six, we hear about how, his, how he suffers to take our place. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. So it's looking at the suffering servant and saying the suffering that he went through was, was our fault. It was for us. So we might be reconciled to God. So we might be healed. And then in verse 6, there's an admission of guilt. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in verses 7 through 9, we hear that he is a silent, slaughtered servant, like a silent, slaughtered animal, like a sacrificial animal. In, the, in verse 6, it's all we like sheep have gone astray. In the next one, it says Jesus is identified as one of those sheep, but he's innocent and he dies for us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And so we hear that he not only suffered for us, but he suffered injustice for us. He's the one who takes upon himself the injustice of the world and our punishment for sin, and he dies for us. Now, now in verses 10 through 12, we can hear this good news of victory in Christ. This victory that God has accomplished is for us. Through Jesus, we get restored as image bearers to our royal place in God's family and God's kingdom. Through Jesus, God's will for us is accomplished. So let's finish out the passage with verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. Now we're getting God's perspective. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him, the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish, he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, God says, the righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. 
Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. transgressors. So we see here in verse 10, God's plan. His life was made an offering for sin. Just like there were Old Testament sacrifices for sin to cover our sin, God's plan was for him to be made a sacrifice for sin. And we also hear that he would be resurrected. His days would be prolonged. There would be a life for him after death. And we hear something really mysterious in verse 11. God says, the righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous. This is unheard of in the Old Testament. There's there's never anything in the Old Testament where God works through one person to make everyone righteous before him. that's That's never happened, and it's a mystery. Like, how is that supposed to happen? And the Jews pondered over that. They, they didn't understand this passage. They're, this is something new. And that mystery becomes clear to us when we look at Paul's teachings, especially. I'm going now to Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. And I have up there the, the key part, verse 18. <clears throat> so in this passage, Paul is comparing Adam, the first human being, with Christ, the new human being, or the second Adam. And he's saying there's two paths. You can be connected with Adam and be connected with sin and death, or you can be connected with Jesus and have righteousness in life. So he says, therefore, just as one man's trespass, talking about Adam, led to condemnation for all, we all follow in his sin. So one man's act of righteousness, Jesus on the cross, leads to justification and life for all. Do you see, do you see the, the contrast there? We're either connected with Adam, we're either in him, or we're in Christ. We're either in him, or we're in Christ. God is making all things new and right in Jesus, the righteous one. He's setting all things right. And through our faith in Jesus, we get connected, we get united with Jesus, so that we participate in Jesus' righteousness. Back in Isaiah, we hear about Jesus, the victor, sharing his spoils. It says, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the strong, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. And so Jesus' victory, all that, that won through him, he shares with us through faith in him. He shares it with us. All this life, all this new life, this new beginning, this restoration of the image of God, you get to partake in that because I'm sharing the spoils of this victory. That's why him being exalted in victory is for our good. Is this making sense? Okay. This is what's known in the Christian faith as the, just, the teaching of justification by faith. We're justified by faith in Christ. Justification is, you can think of the, the, the verb justify as just as if I didn't, didn't, didn't do it. Do you catch that? Just as if I didn't do it. It doesn't, it doesn't completely, it doesn't make us righteous. It gives us a righteous status for, before God. We're made into a right relationship with God. The way that God the Father sees Jesus is now the way that he sees us, the righteous one. We're righteous in him. And then the faith part, we trust in Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the devil so that we get to partake in all that God has done for him and for us. So God's victory in Jesus establishes a new humanity where the image of God is renewed in us. We're no longer cracked images, but we become renewed into the image of Jesus, shaped into the image of Jesus. He's the first new human being, and we get to partake of that new life, that new humanity in him. And this is the good news that Isaiah declares for us this morning. 
Now, how do we grow in our trust in Christ, in this justification in Christ? Well, we have to learn from Jesus' example. We've been talking about this pattern of suffering followed by glory, suffering followed by glory. That was the pattern of Jesus' life, and unfortunately, it's also the pattern for our life. I wish it was, you know, glory, 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 but it's actually suffering then glory. And Jesus went through the suffering of the cross and waiting and trusting and waiting for three days later that he would be raised from the dead and he would have new life. And we too are called to follow in Jesus in trust that we too will be resurrected just like Jesus was. And in the meantime, we experience that new life as God's spirit makes us new. We're born again. We have that new life. That image of God in us is being restored so that we're once again reflecting God's character and glory more and more to the world. So the question is, how can we cultivate that kind of trusting hope, that kind of hope in Jesus? What does that look like to do that? So it's really important that we actually take the time to cultivate that kind of hope in our hearts, that kind of trusting hope. Because the world works against us It doesn't just come naturally. We have to cultivate that kind of hope. It's like cultivating a garden. If you don't pay attention to a garden, what happens after a few months? It's just weeds, right? The weeds of despair fill our heart unless we we pluck them out and we grow hope in our hearts. Faith and hope. So what does it look like to do that? How can we do that? Well, one of the things is we have to realize the way that our culture around us works against us. Our culture really is about dreams. It's about my dreams to do for myself what I think I can do. But that's very different from biblical hope, the hope in the Bible. The hope in the Bible is confidence in God's promised future. I'm going to trust that God's going to work out for me. It doesn't mean that I'm idle or I don't move forward in obedience and in God's direction. But it's, it's different than me trying to secure my own future at all costs. Do you see the difference there? The American dream and biblical hope are two very different things. And so God calls us to trust in that example of Jesus, of trusting in new life in the future. We trust that God will fulfill his promises to us. And the couple ways that we can cultivate that kind of hope in our hearts is meditating on God's word, specifically on God's promises and our identity in Christ. Look for those things in scripture that talks about God's promises for the future and who we are in Christ. Those are two major things that will really increase hope in us. As many of you know, I work a lot with seniors here. Over the past 18 years, I've worked with seniors a lot over uh, the course of my ministry, and I've learned a lot about faith and hope and love from them. Like, they have a lot of wisdom to share. And what I'm about to say is not meant to be an insult. It's because they've lived a very long time. They have a lot of really good things to share. I was just visiting someone on Friday who's in the hospital, and she was sharing about how she had hope in God in the midst of getting, she was actually in a care facility. She was, had hope in God that God was going to get her out of that because she could look back and see God's faithfulness in so many situations. And she said, Dean, I've seen God be faithful, and so no, he's going to be faithful again now. And so if you're young in the faith, or if you're a younger person, know that it It takes time to cultivate this kind of hope. Usually that's the way that it happens. It takes time. We have to really meditate. We have to savor God's 
God's promises and our identity in Christ to us. It's, it, the word meditates kind of like you, you think on it again and again and again. I kind of, I think of like a really juicy steak, you know, like when you go to Morton's and you get a really good steak, you don't just scarf that down in like five minutes. No, you take, you take your time enjoying each bite. At least, at least that's, that's what I do. But think of a really yummy meal. I think of, I think of my kids eating their desserts uh, especially one of my kids, takes a really long time to eat her desserts. Uh, she really loves to eat her desserts very slowly, savoring each bite. Sometimes we'll be at restaurants and like, are you done yet? <laughs> you know, it takes, it, takes, it takes a while. I know, Molly, I owe you a dollar now because I mentioned you. Yeah, yeah. So I, you were just saying that to mommy, weren't you? Mommy, he owes me a dollar now? Yeah. I got one in my wallet. I'll pay you right after. But just, just savor it. Just, just savor it. Take it in. Really enjoy, enjoy what God says to us. Really seek to understand it, to really take it in. And that's what will cultivate that hope. That's what will work against despair. Because the culture around us cultivates despair. It really does. And so we have to cultivate hope and pull out those weeds of despair. So I want to close with a time of doing that, of meditating on God's word and then we'll go into our garden of prayer, and then we'll go into our closing set of worship, okay? And so um, I want us to do that to kind of close off uh, this message, but also to give you an example of what it can look like to savor, to meditate on God's word for us, God's promises, and what God says about our identity in Christ, all right? So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us, the word of promise, the word of salvation in the gospel. Lord, help us to see more of who Jesus is. And Lord, help others to see glimpses of your character and glory in us as you restore us as your image bearers. Lord, we ask now that you would help us to cultivate hope Lord, we hear in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything has passed away. See, everything has become new. Lord, we, we, we see that if anyone is in Christ, that means me. Lord, in Christ, what does it mean to be in you? Lord, it means to be connected with you, to be united with you, to be in close relationship with you. And Lord, we hear that there is a new creation. Lord, I'm part of that new creation, but there's this larger thing that you're doing, Lord. And I wait the day in hope when everything will be made new. And Lord, help me to receive your renewing work now. Lord, we read that everything old has passed away. The old brokenness is passing away, Lord. Lord, let it pass away in me. Let me put to death all those things that are not of you. And Lord, we also read that everything has become new. There's newness as the old is going away. Lord, help me to trust that you will continue to make me new as I trust in and obey you.
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpchb.org.